We want to uh, we want to turn our attention now to the uh, the Word of God, and I'd like to take my uh, reading this morning. I'm actually only going to start out with one verse, and it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, in the Corinthian letter, Paul writes to them, uh, and, and he's addressing uh, he's addressing a lot of things uh, that uh, that the Corinthian church was engaged in, uh, and a lot of these were practices that were wrong practices. Uh, some of them, and many of them were uh, were moral. Uh, and uh, and when you think of moral, what you really should think of there is a spiritual, right? If it's a moral problem, it's a spiritual problem, and uh, and so. Uh, and so he was addressing the spiritual issues that were in that church. Now, of course, we know about the, the issue that was uh, identified uh, of the one who would have his father's wife. And, uh, and, Paul's, uh, and Paul's admonition in the fifth chapter was that he was to be put away, put out, put out of the church. Um, and, and we would call that today in our nomenclature excluded. Uh, and now that language flies in the face of everything that uh, is preached today in the public square. Uh, that is a that's a dirty word today in the in the public square, but that's what Paul said should be done. Uh, and uh, and so here in the eighth chapter, uh, he's going to move on from that after after touching on uh, after touching on. Uh, Marriage, uh, he's going to move on to eating things that are sacrificed to idols, and he begins this way in the eighth verse in the first chapter, or sorry, eighth first verse of the eighth chapter. I had that backwards. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And that's where I would like to stop. And, and I'd like to take that as my title for today. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. And, uh, and, and as we try to wrap our heads around this topic, uh, this is something that in the world today is uh, is something, and really it always has been to a certain degree, um, but knowledge is something that the world seeks out, right? They want to know more and more and more and more. And, uh, and, and knowledge has its merits, don't get me wrong. There, there are, uh, we certainly don't want to be ignorant of things. We want to have a certain amount of knowledge to be able to function in life. But don't confuse knowledge for wisdom, right? There's, there's two different things. Now, the knowledge he's speaking of here is wisdom also. It, because Let's touch on this verse. He says, Now as touching things offered unto idols. Now obviously he's talking about sacrifices that are made to idol gods. And, and he's talking about the, the meat uh, of those sacrifices and eating things that are sacrificed to idols. He says this, We know, uh, we know that we have all knowledge. But herein lies the danger, right? Here's why he says in the next very breath, he says, knowledge puffeth up, right? That, that means knowledge, it makes you boastful, doesn't it? 
if, if you rest in the knowledge of something, then what you do is you end up making that your boast, isn't it? Instead of the actual love that's supposed to be uh, what actually builds up a house, right? Uh, the the knowledge that uh, that is acquired here, uh, if that's what we gonna what we're gonna focus on, that's gonna become a point of pride, isn't it? Uh, and now I would like to say this. Uh, I believe that our churches have the truth, preach the truth, advocate for the truth. All of that is true. But the degree to which the knowledge has been the focal point, it has become a point of pride instead of a point of love and admonition toward a lost and dying world that they be saved. It's become more about making sure that we close off our circle because we're the uh, looking at it from the standpoint of we're the last remnants uh, of the ones who hold on to the truth, so we're trying to guard it and defend it, and that never works. <laughs> That never works. That never works. And instead what has happened, if you ask people uh, uh, about how a lot of our churches are perceived, they're not perceived well. <laughs> they're perceived as closed, standoffish, right? Not welcoming, not warm, not all these things. And why is that? Because the focus is on the knowledge. And what does Paul say here? Knowledge puffeth up. Now what did, what did Satan attack Eve with in the garden? What was it he attacked Eve with in the garden? Now if we go, we, we're going to take the Wayback Machine. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read about there's two trees in the center of the garden of Eden. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 2. And at first we're going to be in verse 7. It says, And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, breathing his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed... And out of the ground, the Lord God or made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in the midst of that garden stands two trees, right? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the midst of the garden. And now what's the commandment that's given? If we go down to the 17th verse. Let's do the 16th and the 17th verse. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat. That includes the tree of life. He, Adam was allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree of life. He was allowed to use the leaves for medicine. He, he was allowed to use the tree of life for any purpose that he had. And as long as he had access to it, Adam was immortal. He's not eternal. He's immortal. Eternal means he has no beginning and no end. 
God's eternal. Adam was created an immortal being because he had a def- he had a definitive start date, but he had no defined end date until he broke what God's commandment was. And so listen here. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now here's the question. Did Adam die corporally when he ate that fruit of that tree? The only answer to that is yes. Now, corporally means bodily. Now, you say, well, that can't be so because he continued on afterward. The process of death started the moment he took a bite of that fruit. The process of death started. He was immortal. He was created not to die, but the process of death started the moment he ate it. He also died spiritually. I believe the moment he ate the fruit, he died spiritually. And and we're going to get into that here. But listen to what Satan tempted Eve with. And and Adam never rebuffed it, did he? As a matter of fact, Eve is actually looked at in a higher light by the New Testament writers because they say the woman was deceived, but the man was not deceived. Right? Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. He knew precisely that he was eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded him not to do. And so look here, the serpent, uh, we're in the third chapter. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now this is Satan doing what he does best. And that's taking Scripture out of context. You want to know one of the biggest plagues uh, that we have? Uh, and I'm going to use this term. I don't, we don't believe in the universal church, but I'm going to use it in this notion because when most people see a church, they don't see a doctrine, they don't see a, they see a church. You know what most, you know what the biggest problem we have in churches today is everybody's got a doctrine. (laughs) Everybody's got a, everybody's got their own interpretation. Everybody's got this. Everybody's got that. And, And, and they'll say, and they'll say, The Holy Spirit will teach me. I believe the Holy Spirit teaches us through people that He has endued with the ability to teach. When we're left on our own to try to interpret Scripture, that's when Satan comes along and he says, You're not reading it correctly. Focus on this. And he comes to Eve and he says, You shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. You're immortal. How are you going to die? Right? You think about it from that context, it makes a little more sense how, how Satan could approach Eve and say, You shall not surely die. Because you're immortal. Now, remember, there was two trees in the midst of the garden, weren't there? 
the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan uh, asked the question, Hath not God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman answers and says unto the serpent, in the second verse, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, singular, which is in the midst of the garden. There's two trees in the midst of the garden. What? So what are they looking at? They're looking at the one tree that they're told they can't eat of it, aren't they? They're saying, well, man, that, the fruit on that tree looks really good. I'd really like to try it out, but I know I'm not supposed to. It became the focal point, didn't it? I believe it became the focal point for Adam and Eve, uh, and, and Eve expresses it here to a certain extent. You may not agree with me on that, but let me get to this and I'll show you why. She says this, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, right? God hath said, ye shall not eat of it. That's correct. God said ye shall not eat of it. They made it something that was taboo, didn't they? Because she adds to it here, and she says, neither shall ye touch it. God never said anything about them not touching it, did he? He said, you shall not eat of the fruit of it. Now, here's where you can get into the real conversation, and the real argument is, well, if I touch it, aren't I tempting myself to eat it. Well, no, not necessarily. Because if you know that you can't eat of it, there's nothing that permits you from enjoying the shade of it. <laughs> right? There's nothing that permits you. I'm five foot seven. You know what I did my whole childhood? I was climbing trees. <laughs> there's nothing in there where God says, can't climb it. He just said, you cannot eat of it. But look what it had become. Look how she, look how she phrased it to Satan. Look, of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Folks, there was two. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She's focused on the one, isn't she? Now, part of that is, you can say, is because Satan directed her to it. Well, I mean, not in the text necessarily. He just says, hath not God said of every tree? And now that's going to automatically focus toward the one tree that God said you can't eat of. And so she says, we can eat of all of them except the one, and we can't even touch it. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. That's adding to what God said. God said, just don't eat it. Right? And, and this is what people do. People take the commandments of God uh, and they make them more than what they are. They don't take them at face value. They take them and they add to them, don't they? 
They say, well, if, if I can't do that, then I can't do this. That's what the Pharisees did. That's exactly, that's the Pharisee doctrine in a nutshell, right? It is, is they would take the commandment and they would extrapolate it out. And, and that's what they did. And, and so here the, ser- the serpent answers and says to her, and says, you shall not surely die. He's lying to her there. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say, right? That, that, just because there may be a, a, some knowledge in the world, it, not all knowledge is edifying, is it? Not all knowledge is profitable. <laughs> There's a, quite a lot of knowledge in the world that's unprofitable. So Satan says, that you're not going to die, that the only reason that God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because you will be equal with him. Satan was guilty of self-worship, wasn't he? In heaven, he wanted, he wasn't satisfied with his position. He wanted the next position up, uh, and uh, which would have been God's, uh, and he led a rebellion in uh, in heaven. He was defeated, deposed, and and led a bunch of angels out of heaven with him. Uh, and uh, uh, but you see here uh, that he's able to find himself in paradise, isn't he? In a place where God inhabits, God comes walking in the cool of the day. God comes conversing with Adam face to face. God communes with Adam in the garden. God knows Adam. God uh, God uh, calls out to Adam in the garden. Adam knows no. Uh, Adam is innocent. He knows no evil. And so Adam is able, with a clean conscience, to call out right back to God, isn't he? Adam's able to talk to God. I believe Adam's able to talk to God face to face. I think that after the Lord comes back, that those that are saved, when we are taken out of this world, right, and the judgment is done, and we're in the presence of God for eternity, I believe with all my heart that we'll see God face to face. Job believed that, didn't he? He said, yet with my eyes shall I behold him. The woman saw the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant for the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took the fruit thereof, and she did eat, and gave also to her husband, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a problem now, don't we? We have a knowledge that we didn't have before. And they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Here he comes like always, right? Uh, and here he comes and he calls out to them. Uh, he calls out to Adam specifically in the cool of the day. And he says, Adam um, and his wife, but Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. Um, right? You know, that's what happens nowadays with Christians. <laughs> We just want to blend in, don't we? So that we're not seen. Because if we stand out, we're probably going to offend. So what happens today is Christians try to step back and far enough into the background that the trees come together. You ever done that? You ever sat in, you ever, I mean, I can say this. I remember sitting in class and when the teacher calls on the class and wants somebody to volunteer an answer, everybody's trying to hide behind the person that's in front of them. <laughs> Let me slide over and get out of the way so he can't see me so that he can't call on me. That's exactly what Adam did. That's just to show you there's no change in human behavior from the moment that Adam ate the fruit of the tree till today. It's still the same. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Adam is experiencing a new emotion right now, isn't he? What's that emotion? Shame. Adam's experiencing shame, isn't he? I heard thy voice in the garden. He responds to God. And I was afraid because I was naked. I was naked and I hid myself. And God says to him, Who told you that you were naked? You didn't eat of the tree, did you? Yeah, I did. I ate of the tree. Uh, I want to. I want to fast forward here because I. I don't want to take too long. I want to fast forward, and uh, and and just get to the, the culmination of. The peril of, the focus on knowledge, it's charity that edifieth, right? And and I'm going to show you that here from the third chapter of Genesis, and we're going to go down to the 23rd, 24th, and 20, or 22nd, 23rd, 24th verses. My bad. Uh, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. So you see, it wasn't necessarily that Satan was lying. He was just resting Scripture. Right? You'll become as gods, knowing good and evil. God never intended for that to be the case. But he also also intended for man to choose to worship him, which is why he gave him the one commandment and the one tree that he couldn't eat of. But now life's going to get a lot harder for this man, isn't it? It's going to get a lot more rough and a lot more rugged. And I want to ask you a question here. Where is God at when Adam is thrust out of the Garden of Eden? I want you to think about that as we look here. 
And we see that the Lord God says, Behold, the man is come as, become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, because if he eats of the tree of life, he's never going to die. Nothing's changed in terms of the properties that are acquired from the tree of life. So immortality is removed from Adam. It's taken away. Uh, and death has now been, the sentence has now been declared, hasn't it? And the sentence is death. Guilt is determined. The trial has taken place. And this man has been found worthy of death. And so here, he says, we've got to send him out. But before he did that, God gave him a covering, didn't he? Uh, we go back to the 21st verse. And unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. The first blood that's shed in the Bible is by God to make a covering for Adam and Eve that they might not be in that shameful state that they were in when they, were, when they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Also foreshadowing that by blood and blood alone is the remission of sins. By the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so we see here uh, that uh, in the 23rd verse it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden uh, to till the ground from whence he was taken. See, here's a difference, isn't it? See, his work before was really leisure. He had a completed garden, and all he did was tend to the garden, he didn't really have to do that much to make anything grow. God caused all that to take place. Everything was provided for him. He was a perfect man in a perfect place without any fault, deemed to live forever. He was immortal. But he's not any longer, is he? How many think that a man would leave that place voluntarily? No. Why do you think that work that businesses can't find anybody to work now? <laughs> right? If you're going to give me everything for nothing, then I'm not going to leave the place where I can get everything for nothing. The 24th verse shows the, in my opinion, now you don't have to agree with me on this, the 24th verse shows that man who was created by God, loved by God, God created a perfect place for man to dwell in, that this man's now the enemy of God. Because God drove him out of the garden. He didn't allow him to stay. God had to forcibly remove Adam from the garden. He had to forcibly remove him because that's why he, said, why he says he had to drive him out. It's the exact same literature and language that he used about the inhabitants of Palestine when he drove out the inhabitants of the land before the children of Israel. Here, Adam had to be driven out of the Garden of Eden because of sin and nothing else. Adam hadn't killed anybody. Adam hadn't, uh, Adam hadn't, to another person, let's say, but Adam had committed adultery 
He had a committed spiritual adultery, hadn't he? And, and so God drives him out, and then God places at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. A flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, I believe Jesus is the tree of life. I, that's, just my, that's just my belief on that. But where was God? Where was he at? Now, I believe the tree here is a literal tree. God is exactly where he always is, isn't he? Right in between the cherubim. If we go, if we fast forward and we go to uh, the instructions that were given for the creation of the Ark of the Covenant, right? The law that God gave on top Mount Sinai, it had two cherubim overshadowing the mercy seat. And God, where did God live? He lived in the midst of the cherubim, didn't he? He lived between the cherubim. Jesus lived in the midst of the cherubim. Now, let's touch on this. This, this sword, this is a flaming sword. Now, what it really is is a glistening sword. I, I want to point this out from the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy really quick. Deuteronomy 32.41. God says this, If I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. So you see here, God showed leniency to Adam, didn't he? God had mercy toward Adam. Even in Adam's uh, disobedience to God's commandment, he had mercy toward them. Uh, he showed that, uh, that there was a, a, another way that was going to have to be created if you were going to gain access to the tree of life. Another way had to be created. And, uh, and so God gave a law. God gave a law. And uh, I want to touch on that law here for just a moment. Over in the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul writes this about the law that was given. In the 24th verse, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Right? There was nothing in the law that was redeemable. The law pointed out sin... And the law expressly, expressly was condemning, right? It, 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 was, it applied the guilt. Uh, the gospel applies mercy, right? That's what the gospel has to provide. The gospel has mercy that it provides to those that will hear it. Uh, and then it says this, But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. To this same point, he says over in Romans chapter 10, uh, uh, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The righteousness that Adam had when he was in the garden was imputed righteousness, which was removed when he chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God had a plan to redeem them, didn't he? He had a plan to redeem him, And it's the imputed righteousness of Christ which allows us to get back. Christ had to die. 
to make a way for us to get back to paradise. That's what we're going to recognize today was the death that Christ freely offering himself so that we would have a way back into fellowship and communion with God. That's what he did. That's what he did. We, we can go all the way back in the way back time machine to the very beginning and we can see that it was always Jesus Christ. There's no other way whereby a man may be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to the Father except through the Son. There is no other way. The world today wants to teach that there is an innumerable number of ways. There's only one way. You can't get back. I guess really the tree of life would be more indicative of the Father. But you can't get to the Father if you without coming through the Son. He's the way, the truth, and the life, as I've already stated. That's my message this morning. Um, knowledge puffeth up. Charity, love edifieth. Why did Jesus come into the world? It's the most pop, most famous verse of all time, right? <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but they would have everlasting life. You know what everlasting life means? Immortal. <laughs> Immortal. That's my message this morning. Um, Brother Williams, if you've got a song.